What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's time to celebrate peace on earth, goodwill toward men and women, especially because today in 1948, the United Nations established a set of human rights to protect the dignity and equality of all people across the world. And while the interpretation of these values sometimes proves controversial, no one can argue against the right of every person to be free from fear and to love and be loved without hiding who they are. Here to talk about her journey from Bangalore, India, to becoming a Massachusetts doctor and author of award-winning children's and young adult fiction is Rajani Laraka. Her most recent book is Where Three Oceans Meet. Welcome, Rajani. Great to have you with us. So excited to be here, Diane. Thank you. Rajani, the book is about three generations uh, in a family of women, and they want to travel to the end of the world. Um, Sounds like a great project. They go to the southernmost tip of India, to Kanyakumari, and they take, symbolically in their luggage, um, the... The eldest, Patti, takes her nine-yard sari of heavy silk. Um, Mommy takes her six-yard sari of lighter silk. And Sajal, the girl, the granddaughter, takes her jeans and her T-shirts. It's so symbolic about generations and celebrating the enduring love of generations together I wondered, um, you know, having read this, the first thoughts that came to mind are, um, what is it about stories like this that make it easier for important messages and themes to get across? Oh, what a great question. You know, I think what's really interesting to me is that as a parent, I often found that Important discussions were easier when you weren't necessarily looking at your child. I found mm-hmm. that they tended to open up <laughs> when they were in the backseat of the car, especially if it was dark, and I was looking at the road, and they would talk to me about things that were on their mind. And there was something about being on a journey together um, that allowed the words to flow. And so, Isn't it interesting? Similarly, <laughs> yeah, I similarly, I think that um, when you read a story, especially a, a picture book like Where Three Oceans Meet that is so beautifully illustrated, and you just kind of follow along with the story and you're looking at the illustrations, that the message of the story somehow flows into your mind and your heart a little bit uh, more easily. Well, I agree. It's not um, like being taught to. It's more like, you know, sharing an adventure. And um, you, you pointed out, I, I love this. Um, you have the, the illustrations are by uh, Arcana, 
uh, Arkana Srinivasan. Am I pronouncing yes. her name correctly? Um, Archana Srinivasan, yes. She's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> she's wonderful. And she's throughout your books, um, six of which came out this year. Um, and uh, she is also from Bangalore. And it's really interesting to me to maintain that connection. And also just to give, again, the reader something to look at so that they're diverted, maybe unconsciously can absorb the story um, even better. Because as you say, it's when we're really thinking that we're under pressure, that it's much harder actually to, to learn. Um, I wonder if you then, by extension, how you came to address young people, young girls, especially, um, what made you want to speak to and with this audience? Okay, so as a woman and as an immigrant who had, um, you know, I came to the U.S., I immigrated to the U.S. as a baby. So I really grew up as an American. Um, but I had relatives whom I really adored um, in India. And we got to visit them every few years. And we would stay for, you know, several weeks, maybe a couple of months during the summer. But that was only every few years. And every time I went, there was um, this reconnection. Um, but there was also this kind of sense of you wanted to pack everything you could into this brief time that we were together before we had to be apart again. And one of the things that, um, that I, you know, kind of realized as I got older is that these moments that you spend with people you love, um, it, it's, it's these small moments that kind of mean everything. And um, I, when I got into writing again, um, you know, my first career is as a doctor, I realized that it was these kinds of stories that meant the most to me, that um, there's so much uh, joy, and then there's also pain because you're apart from people that you care about, but the joy outweighed it. And um, I wanted to speak to that, and I wanted to, um, in this story in particular, speak to the really just vital and important role that women play in each other's lives. So it's not only about missing people that you love because you can't be with them, but about the connection between mothers and daughters and grandmothers uh, that, that endures no matter how far apart you are. I thought it was so beautiful um, that that bond um, with the grandmother, uh, you know, Patty and Mommy um, and Sejal, that there was so much respect for the differences. I mean, they were going on the same trip, but they were looking for different things. So Patty, the grandmother, she wanted to go to the temples. She wanted the spiritual things. Mommy wanted to catch up with friends along the way, going through, you know, the, going through the country of India and Seychelles. She, she just wanted to go to the end of the earth and have the big adventure. There was so much respect um, for the differences also among the generations. And I, I wondered if you feel, um, you know, is that, is that kind of respect also part of the message um, and is it, is it something, you know, it was something that came through to me very loud and clear, this beautiful respect of differences. Oh, thank you. I, you know, yes, I, I, 
I do believe that, you know, that was part of what I was trying to convey. I, I think this is true of any group of people who love each other and respect each other, that they can all have slightly different reasons for wanting to do something, but that ultimately it is the act of doing it together um, that is the important thing. And I, that was one of the, that is kind of a refrain in the book, um, is that the mom and the grandmother keep saying, yes, Sajel, we'll do it together. We'll see it together. And, um, uh, I just had, I had fun with it. And this is true of my own family. You know, <laughs> we, we actually, the inspiration for this book was an actual, uh, trip that I took with, um, my relatives through South India. We started in Bangalore and we went all the way to Kanyakumari and, um, I, and we, we had more than three people. It was not just me and my mother and my grandmother, but my mom and my grandmother were there, and there were some other relatives as well. And everyone kind of had a slightly different reason for wanting to do this trip. And my grandmother definitely wanted to see all the temples. <laughs> um, so we, and, and, you know, and I was just a kid. I was the only kid on this particular trip. None of my cousins could come because they had to go to uh, school. But, um, and I was just kind of along for the ride, like, what kind of cool things can I see? What kind of cool things can I do? So that absolutely was rooted in my own experience. But I also find that uh, anything, when you have a large um, family and a large group of people together, everyone brings their, um, their, their own perspective. And everybody is slightly different. But in the end, um, the reason why they're doing whatever they're doing, going on a trip, having a party, celebrating with a meal, um, is that they wanted to spend time together. And this collaborative um, idea and and kind of respecting uh, and observing and appreciating other people uh, and their motivations and their interests, it's really important coming into the holiday season or, you know, Hanukkah has already passed, but for many it's a holiday season and, you know, we're going to be together and we're going to be together, some of us, for the first time in quite a while. So I think this message of, of, you know, how to be together and um, just sort of embrace one another's differences um, and peculiarities even, just um, it goes a long way at a, a time like this. Uh, you, you mentioned particularly women, and of course, it's really interesting to me as a woman. Um, and mm-hmm. But I think that also the women, uh, they're united in one way because they are mommy has emigrated to the U.S. in the story um, and with her daughter. And so they are experiencing an otherness. Um, And and I think that one of the themes, I've read three of your books, um, and we're going to get into your whole uh, over in just a moment. But I mean, this theme of otherness, um, how does it feel in comparison? You know, it, it, it's so interesting to me that you stepped from one world to the other, from, from this world, let's say the new world in America, to the old world, um, to explore and be with your family. And you kept your feet in both worlds. Um, and that produced a kind of otherness when you were in America, and it produced an otherness when you were in India. Um, I wonder how that feels today um, for you as the mother of, you know, your, your daughters. Um, how, how, how has that evolved, do you think? Oh, 
This is such a great question. So here's the thing. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I definitely felt like I was straddling two worlds and I wasn't sure that I really truly belonged in either one. Um, as you mentioned, um, growing up as an Indian immigrant in the United States, um, I definitely felt at times that I was different from everybody else, as much as I also felt at the same time that I was very similar to everyone else. Um, and I had to hold both of those things at the same time. And then when we would go to India, I felt 100% a part of my beautiful close-knit family, but also was very aware that I was extremely different from the people around me. Um, you know, it got to the point where I felt like people on the street could tell even no matter what I was wearing, they could tell that I wasn't really Indian because I walked a different way. I definitely spoke with a different accent. So it was, um, you know, that was kind of wherever I went, I felt like I was um, older. And that was okay because I also at the same time felt very, very, um, very much embraced by the people around me and felt very loved and very supported. So I was very fortunate in that way. Um, and then, you know, as you grow older, you know, you, <laughs> you, you uh, enter different communities. And um, I, you know, entered one community in college and then entered another in medical school and then went on to practice medicine and really felt like I had found my people in terms of um, kind of what our goals were, um, what we you know, were trying to achieve and our interest, and, our interest in and care for other human beings, no matter who they were. Um, but when I went back to writing, I had, you know, really put it on hiatus for decades when I was uh, in medical school and training and uh, when my children were little. When I went back to writing, I realized that this feeling of being the other is, is fodder for stories, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there is an inherent conflict there. And... Um, so I, I, when I started writing again, I just wrote what I felt most deeply about, and these are the stories that emerged. And, um, you know, I will say one other thing is that um, it is normal to feel out of place. It is normal for everybody kind of on the planet um, to feel out of place. There are plenty of people who whose families have been in the same place for generations who still feel like, well, I'm, but I'm different inside than other people. I don't know if anybody else thinks like this. Uh, and the other, you know, the other reason that I write for young people is because that sense of otherness, that conflict that is within you, um, is inherent to the process of growing up. Uh, no matter who you are, there is a point at which you think to yourself, I don't think I'm like my parents. You know, I think that there's something, I see things differently from them. And mm -hmm. is that okay? And who is it that I really am? And what do I want to be? Um, mm -hmm. But the biggest advantage, I would say, to being an adult, <laughs> thinking about these things, is that with a little bit more time um, under your belt, you can see that all these things that seem so impossible to reconcile when you are young um, can coexist. So... Uh, I grew up and I married somebody who is not um, Indian or Indian American, and we mm -hmm. are raising two beautiful uh, kids, a, a boy and a girl, and they are being raised in two kinds of cultures, um, the cultures that you know their parents came from, but also the cultures of the community in which we live. 
And these things can be um, in harmony with each other. Um, and I know, of course, like everybody, um, my children had their own conflicts about who they are and um, feeling like they weren't necessarily like other people. But um, at least they have the, the perspectives of their parents who also kind of grew up feeling these same things to help them along. Yes, and can understand them and um, actually illustrate them through these wonderful stories that about, um, you know, that come through the other, feeling other is material for sure for writing and many writers speak from that point of view. I think you articulated it in a beautiful way. Um, and yes, there can just be an internal alienation. We have a couple minutes before the break, but I thought we should let people know exactly who we're talking to here. It's it's kind of an amazing um, trajectory. Rajani LaRocca was born in India, raised in Kentucky, and now lives in the Boston area with her wonderful family um, and an impossibly cute dog. That's good. A graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Medical School, she spends her time writing novels and picture books, practicing medicine and baking too many sweets. Well, I'm looking forward to the book Midsummer's Mayhem, also by you, Rajani, and it's got a lot of food in it. We're going to talk about the importance of food. You are also the co-host of the STEM Women in Kidlet podcast. Your middle grade novel uh, debut, Midsummer's Mayhem, um, an Indian-American mashup of a Midsummer's Night Dream and competitive baking. <laughs> We're going to look forward to that. Uh, was an Indies introduced selection and an Indie Next Pick, a Kirkus Best Middle Grade Book of 2019 and a 2020 Massachusetts Book Award Honor title. Your middle grade novel in verse, Red, White, and Whole, which I also read, has received multiple star reviews and is a junior library Guild Gold standard selection. There's a whole slew of other awards to it, but um, Kirkus called it the best book of the year, and I am very inclined to agree with it. Your third middle grade novel, Much Ado About Baseball, was featured on the Today Show and is a Junior Library Guild Gold Standard Selection with a Kirkus Star Review. So your debut picture book, Seven Gold Rings, A Tale of Music and Math, we're going to talk about music as well, is set in ancient India and introduces the basics of binary numbers. Okay, that's a fun topic. Um, it received multiple star reviews and is the winner of the 2021 Mathematical Book Prize for grades three to five. Um, you're the author of a picture book, Bracelets for Brothers, Where Three Oceans Meet, The Secret Code Inside You, I'll Go and Come Back, Masala Chai, Fast and Slow, Your One and Only Heart, Summer is for Cousins, and more. You can learn more about her at rajanilaraka.com. So we are going to pause for a, a commercial break. And with that introduction, we know that there's a lot more to speak about. So don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. 
The aim is to serve riders who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Rajani LaRocca, and she is the author of many books, as you heard. But Red, White, and Whole is a book that moved me greatly. Um, On the cover, one of the um, blurbs by Kathy Appelt says that it is truly one of the most heart-expanding stories ever. Congratulations on this book, Rajani. Thank you so much. Uh, this, as I uh, usually say when I talk about this book, it's a book of my heart and it means a great deal to me. I can see why. Um, there were a lot of primal um, situations going on. You ask, one of the questions you ask is, what is a mother? And is a mother just too much sometimes to even comprehend all the aspects of her? Your parents in Red, White, and Whole have immigrated from India. You're, it's spoken in the first first person, and it's written as a diary, which makes it so immediate and so compelling. And I really had to blink at the end to find out that it it was actually fictional. Um, but you, the parents, your parents in the in the book, have have left uh, India, and they have sacrificed a great deal of their well-being um, to have you go to private school. Your, your grandmother is with you, uh, your ama. Um, but now you're on the spot. You are a kid, um, but now you're, you're in private school, and you realize that all of the hopes of the family are resting with you to perform, to stay cleaved with Indian traditional values, um, which include hard work and not getting interested in boys and lots of other things that a normal girl might do. So there's a tension there because you you feel this pressure of performing that's relatable to many out there. Um, and you, you have a kind of, um, not guilt, but kind of a sense of um, compulsion to do what's expected of you. But sometimes you'd like to just fit in. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, please, about that tension between belonging to a culture of your origin and then wanting to be belonging to a culture of your acculturation, of your new home. Mm. Yes. Well, so Red, White, and Whole, as you mentioned, is... Um, written in poetry, and uh, it is set in 1983, and although it is a work of fiction, um, many many of the emotional aspects of this book came right from my life. So, um, it's set in 1983, and the main character, Reha, is 13 years old. 
and I was 13 in 1983. Um, and she... Um, is, as, uh, is the daughter of Indian immigrants, and she feels torn between the world of her parents and their community and her friends at school, where she is the only Indian American student. And um, she, you know, this is set in the 80s, so there's a lot of 80s kind of pop culture references. She wants to wear cool clothes. She wants to listen to pop music. She wants to go to a middle school dance like other teenagers. But her parents, and especially her mother, or Amma, as she calls her, um, really feel like she, they, they, have, um, they have expectations and she has better things to do with her time. Um, so this is very much a part of what life was like for me when I was growing up. Um, I absolutely adored my parents. They, I still do. Um, they raised me with so much love and so much understanding, and um, they, you know, immigrated to this country because they felt like opportunities would be greater for them than for me here. And um, they 100% wanted me to follow my interests and to be whoever I wanted to be. But um, they also wanted, you know, very much for me to be close to the culture that I came from and um, kind of have their same traditions and values and hold them dear. And that was in direct conflict sometimes with what I felt like I wanted to do, especially as a teenager, um, in terms of fitting in and just being um, a regular American kid. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and I think it was really important to me in this story that Reha, um, like me, this was not, I don't know how to explain this, most of the, cult, most of the tension and conflict in this story comes from within Reha. Although she feels like her parents have expectations that she's not sure she can always meet, most of the, most of the um, kind of issue is from what her expectations are of herself. And um, that's very much true. So you can still be loved and supported and care about the people around you, both your friends and your family, and still feel conflict inside you. And that's... Um, really what I wanted to get at. That's part of what I wanted to get in, at the, in this story. And I feel that um, writing it in first person um, in poetry uh, means that you're very much inside Reha's head the whole time and you hopefully understand that that's where the real conflict is. It's a seminal book. Um, she has this conflict when, you know, it's time to go to the dance and she hems and haws and she doesn't even really know how to tell her parents that she wants to go to this dance. Um, I, I wondered, since you mentioned that you have the books with you, even though you're traveling and so kind of you to join us with the books, um, I wonder if you would mind reading a passage so that people can get um, an idea through your voice um, what a passage sounds like. You could pick one, any of your favorites, or I just happened to open to page 70, Hot and Cold, um, because they were talking about this dance, and the dance is so symbolic of the two different cultures, like you're really not supposed to want to go to a dance. You're supposed to be focusing on your studies. And even though other kids in your neighborhood can't even go to the private school that you go to and they want to go to the dance, um, would you mind? I mean, we'd be so honored, Rajani, if you could you read a passage from Hot and Cold, if you wouldn't mind? Of course. Um, hot and Cold. When Daddy gets angry, he flashes hot like a flame that suddenly springs to life, making you jump and pull back your hand. He shouts, and we are quiet. And then, 
After a few moments, it is over, and he's forgotten what he shouted about. Amma doesn't get angry often, but when she does, her anger is long-lived and slow. A coldness in her voice, a kiss that's too brief, a phrase murmured when you don't expect it. She folds into herself and turns her face away like the new moon. There's nothing to do but wait until she shows her light again. And that is exactly what Amma does after I mention the dance. Mm. So savory. I, it's, it's so lifelike um, witnessing the signals that a mom is giving off and trying to interpret them. Um, and I also, I guess at this point, I, I just can't resist asking you, were you journaling along, you know, all, all along during your life? When did you decide that this poetry, which is such a lovely medium for red, white, and whole, um, you can sit down and read this of a sitting and yet walk away with so much. I wondered when poetry entered your life, you were studying medicine, you were being a doctor, um, and how did you decide that that was the right medium to talk about these internal tensions and these internal states of holding those tensions and questions? So I, I loved to write when I was younger. So I'm, I'm not a lifelong journal keeper. There's something about, there's something about the daily practice of keeping a journal that stressed me out. So I would always start one and then never continue it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did write uh, during uh, periods of my life. I wrote um, letters, uh, which I mean, by hand, which nobody does anymore now, but I loved that. I basically, it was kind of a journal. I would write to my cousins in India and to friends that I made um, across the, the U.S. Um, and I went to a wonderful school um, from fourth grade to the end of high school, Louisville Collegiate School in Louisville, Kentucky. And I had some remarkable English and writing teachers there. And I, um, during the course of my education, uh, began to, you know, I was infused with the sense that I had something to say and that uh, writing was a wonderful way to say it, even if I just wrote things to myself. Uh, When I was in college, I was pre-med, but I was took a lot of liberal arts um, courses and uh, took some writing courses as well. So I did a lot of kind of personal essay writing in college. And I guess I didn't really ever think that I would be uh, a published author until much later in my life when I had been practicing medicine for a while. My kids were a little older and I had uh, this drive to return to writing And so I just took some classes, I took some online classes, and then I met um, some people in person through in-person classes, and I I felt like I wanted to do this. I, over a few years, decided that I wanted to try to be published. And uh, I just met this other wonderful community of writers, and once I met fellow writers, I they kept me going, even though uh, it was a long road to being published and not easy and filled with rejection. 
But when it came to writing Red, White, and Whole, I had, I had this idea for this book, and it started uh, with a metaphor. And the metaphor is of blood and all that it means in terms of biology and family and community. And uh, I knew kind of the outline of what I wanted to say, which was about this girl who is conflicted between two worlds, but then whose mother gets really desperately ill and feels um, conflicted between those two worlds, of the world of kind of regular people who are walking around being healthy and somebody who, uh, who you love who is in the hospital and very sick. And... Um, uh, and I knew that this kind of tied into a Hindu myth of Savitri, who is a woman who um, basically meets the god of death, Yama, and saves her husband's life. And so Reha in the story, I knew, thought about that story a lot and thought that if she could just be the perfect daughter, the daughter that her parents wanted her to be, that she could save her mother's life. So all of these things came together for, as the idea for this book. And I thought, I think this needs to be in poetry because poetry is human experience that is boiled down to its essence, right? So it is spare, but it also holds a lot. And because this is a book for young people, I also knew that I wanted poetry with space on the page allows space in somebody's mind and heart to kind of um, understand and assimilate what is being said. So... I said, okay, I think this needs to be a novel in verse, but then I didn't know how to write a novel in verse. <laughs> as as I had written some poetry, but I didn't know if I could write an entire novel in this form. And so, you know, as, as we all do when we're interested in something, I kind of read every novel in verse for young people that I could and um, learned a lot through that and, uh, and then just tried. Um, and this book... I felt like at times like the story existed somewhere in the ether and picked me to write it. Um, but mm-hmm. also there's so many personal um, things in this story that came from my real life that I, you know, I also uh, had, had to like stop myself sometimes because I would wake up at three in the morning and I'd have all these ideas for poems that I wanted to write. And I would just make myself just write down the names of the poems or the topics and not mm-hmm. actually write them then. Um, yeah, this story poured out of me, uh, and uh, and I'm just I'm just grateful that um, that I was able to bring it to the world. I'm extremely grateful that you did as well. That you do have something to say, and I thought that the blood, the lineage, the you know the um, heritage, the life giving quality of blood, and then the final anecdote, which was that you who, when you skinned your knee very badly in the book, um, you know, were treated by a doctor. In that treating, um, the doctor was very respectful of you, even though you were a young girl, explained everything that was happening in her in your procedure of bandaging and cleaning and um, infection prevention and all of it. But the other aspect is that you fainted at the sight of blood. Um, Let's go back, Rajani. <laughs> I mean, Rajani. I mean, this is just something that, like, this this really got me because you know, here's your mother. She she's professionally, you know, she's like working. What would be like, you know, she's working at like Quest Diagnostics or something. She's she's drawing blood to determine diagnosis for people, life saving 
um, activity in and of itself, but she is also professionally about blood. And there you are. You can't even stand the sight of blood. Um, how, how did you overcome that to become a medical doctor? We've got a couple of minutes before the break, but how did that happen? Okay, so this is I this is where the story of Reha and the book differs from my story. So I did have that crazy scrape, that horrible scrape on my shin, but I've never been scared of blood, thank goodness. But okay. I'm telling you this is where this is where Diane when you're writing a book and people say that the character is kind of like on your shoulder or whispering in your ear, that part of this character she, she came up with that. Like, I was writing this poem about how she became interested in becoming, you know, becoming a doctor and going into medicine. And at the end of the poem, this line where she faints at the sight of blood, I was like, wait a minute, what? Really? And, um, and then I realized, well, wow, Reha, you, like, came up with a very big obstacle for yourself if you want to go into medicine. <laughs> but it's a great one. And also, it makes her vulnerable. Reha then is somebody who's got a flaw. And so therefore we can relate to her even more so that the mm-hmm. stories that are, you know, have these embedded messages of, of bonding and individuation, um, they come home much more readily because we identify with these, these great characters that you've created um, like Reha. I, I do think that, um, you know, we, we've just got a minute to go before the break, but it was, there's so much symbolism and it makes, I'm thinking about, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down somehow. The, the whole way that you wrote this book, Red, White and Whole, it makes it so palatable. Um, and we're with you on these pages of poetry. Um, and we will continue to speak with Rajani Laroca uh, when we come back from a break. So don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're with Rajani Laraka, and she is a primary care physician in ter- practicing internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and the author of really how many books, Rajani? 
So I have eight books that are uh, out already, (laughs) and then I have about as many coming out in the next couple of years. Wonderful. I mean, you're prolific. Your writing style is very direct. We get the message, and also we are, it's lyrical and beautiful. So I think there's just such a wonderful combination and balance of things going on. One of the other symbols that I found um, throughout the book, it was also in um, Where Three Oceans Meet and Red, White, and Whole, um, which I will read again, actually. I just think it's a wonderful uh, point of reference um, to go through life is food, food. Now, your family in Red, White, and Whole is vegetarian. So, like the big Thanksgiving where they kill the bird and, you know, you're in America and you're trying to assimilate or as best you can fit in. Um, like these kinds of situations produce, you know, awkwardness. Um, so your food is also, you know, it's it's spicy and there's a lot of preparation. You know, there's there's a lengthy preparation in terms of making curries, for example, or grinding spices. And I wondered about the whole symbology of food now that, you know, people are going to medical school and becoming doctors like yourself. And what about the... The, the symbol of food as a gesture of caring and love when you get home, there's the snacks, mm. eating this beautifully prepared food. And in the book, it's, in the book, so it's, it's really transportive. I can almost sense it. Um, how does that work um, in modern life? And what's that kind of evolution like in terms of furthering the culture in, you know, enduring the culture and having it endure. Ooh. So now you've asked me um, a question on one of my favorite topics. <laughs> in case you can't tell, food, I think, is in every single one of my books. Um, and I feel like, so I, I, I love food, but in Red, White, and Whole in particular, I focused on not just um, the fact that I love food and, you know, we love food from all kinds of different cultures and we love different tastes. Um, I focus on the food that is prepared at home. And to me, uh, it is sacred, the kind of meals that families share together. Um, you know, I mean, for many cultures, um, this is kind of tradition that has been passed on for hundreds or thousands of years. Um, what kinds of food you eat when. Uh, when I remember when I lived in, you know, when I would visit India and we would stay for the summer, you know, my family there would eat. Um, what they were eating depended very much upon what was in season and what was fresh and available at the market. My, we would stay with my uncle and aunt and, um, you know, they would go to the market every morning and see what looked good and that's what we would, you know, cook and eat together. And um, in many ways, the food is very simple. So, uh, you know, lots of vegetables and lentils and rice, but also kind of flatbreads, uh, chapatis were very common. And then really fun condiments to add to things that were also homemade. Um, and then, you know, my parents and I living in the U.S., you know, my mom and later my dad cooked Every day, you know, we would, we would not 
go to the market every day like they did in India. But, you know, there were kind of certain things that we ate almost every day. Um, and it's, one of them is mentioned in the book. Uh, it's called rasam, which is a kind of um, a spicy lentil soup. So pretty thin, but um, using uh, yellow lentils typically, but the equivalent would be red lentils or pink lentils that we have in the U.S. And it's a kind of tomato-based broth. And then you would cook this, and then at the end, you would add this kind of seasoning. And uh, it usually involves a little bit of oil, um, black mustard seeds, and uh, a little bit of um, uh, something called hang, which kind of added a special flavor. And the popping of those mustard seeds are something that I just remember from almost every day of my childhood. And... uh, they symbolize in red, white, and whole something really important to Reha, uh, not just um, kind of food from home, but her mother's love and care in preparing all that food uh, every day. And there is a scene when the mom is in the hospital and Reha and her dad um, are making the rasam at home and they are, they're, she's, she's watching in the mustard seed. She's trying to make sure that she takes them off the flame before they burn, and she fails. And everything smells like burned food, and she's just she feels like this is a disaster, and it's just symbolic of how much she misses her mom. And um, that scene in the book is taken directly from my own life. My mom didn't have leukemia like the mom in the book, but she was injured in a car accident, and we had um, my dad and I tried to make rosin one night, and we totally burned the mustard seeds, mm-hmm. and I just felt like nothing was ever going to be the same. And that. Um, so that, that moment um, was taken from, straight from my life and kind of put right into the book. But even beyond that, um, I think food in general reflects um, a culture so, uh, so, so vividly. And uh, I really do feel like when I meet people from other parts of the world or even when we visit other parts of the world, if you get to eat somebody else's food and not just if you can, avo- you know, if you can do it, not just restaurant food, because that's different, right? It's kind of changed and tried to, you know, transform it into something more palatable for a wide range of people. Um, you get to eat in somebody's home and eat their home food. You really get insight into who they really are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it feels like a return to something when you, um, something very um, foundational, when you are, eating the food of your culture. Um, I'm old enough that some of our family members are no longer with us, but, you know, the big special event is to go back and my cousin and I recreating my grandmother's recipes. Um, It connects you to people, right? I mean, food, it brings you to them. And in burning the mustard seeds, um, you know, I, I I loved these scenes with the mustard seeds. Um, it also it also means that that person's basically irreplaceable, right? That that symmetry is is gone in your world if that if that person isn't isn't present. I'm holding in my hands um, a book called Midsummer's Mayhem, also by Rajani, <laughs> and um, Rajani, I, I just want you to kind of walk us through it. Is is this? Um, and it's also illustrated by your wonderful colleague from Bangalore. Um, walk us through this. Is this, um, you know, 
is symbolic also of a return again to these cycles of nature. You go into the woods and you start to source food from from there or how would you characterize it? I've not read it yet, but I'm I'm going to. It's it's in my hot little hands. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy it. Midsummer's Mayhem is, as you said before, it is a Midsummer Night's Dream meets Cupcake Wars, basically. It's about a girl who loves to bake. Um, and she, so her, this family in this book is a little bit different. Um, the family in this book resembles my family, you know, that I, that I have with my husband. So um, one of Mimi's parents is Indian American. That's her mom. And one of her um, parents is not. He's, uh, he's white. And that's her dad. And um, that is very similar to my family. And I actually have a daughter named Mira, who we call Mimi. So it is, <laughs> it is and it is a contemporary setting. And, um, oh, and I should tell you that the, the illustrator for the book and the cover is not Archana. It is um, Rachel Suggs. And um, oh. she did just a wonderful job. Oh, that's okay. So we, I have different illustrators for almost every book. So um, so great. Uh, she did a fantastic job. Kind of, this is a novel, but there are kind of a few scenes that are illustrated. And this book, so of course, it centers around food and baking in particular. And um, it brings together several loves in my life, which include food and baking, Shakespeare, mm-hmm. um, and and um, uh, and kind of magic. So uh, I. I, I knew that I wanted to write a story that had something to do with kind of magic in the woods. Um, and I had a memory from when I was a kid where uh, my dad didn't travel that much, but sometimes when he did, he was gone for up to a week. And I had an overactive imagination, and I would think, what if the person who returns isn't actually my dad, but somebody who looks exactly like him? How would I know? <laughs> the imposter. Right. And so I had like this these series of quiz questions that only my real dad would know the answer to. <laughs> and <laughs> luckily it was always my dad. <laughs> but yeah. When it came time to test. write this book, when it came time to write this book, I was like, well, what would happen if there were a girl whose dad came back from a business trip and there was something actually wrong with him? How would she know? And what would, and she was the only one who figured this out. And then I kind of went from there. I was like, well, why is she the only one who notices and then I said, oh, maybe she's, you know, one of many children, and she's the youngest, and she's the one that's kind of waiting for him to return. And then, you know, what is actually wrong with him? And, of course, I thought, oh, it's got to be something magical, and maybe it has something to do with the woods. And I live in Concord, Massachusetts, where we are surrounded by conservation land. And I was like, oh, definitely something magical would happen here. And then I thought of fairies, because that's, you know, who live in the woods. And then I said, oh, there's a link to Shakespeare's play here, A Midsummer Night's Dream. And there is actually a link between uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream and the family in my story. So I, I felt like it all came together to be this kind of concoction of a novel. <laughs> mm. A concoction like a wonderful recipe that comes together and makes this surprise kind of dish that you just you know can't get enough of. Um, there are going to be, as you mentioned, eight books coming out, um, which I'm now you know desperately looking forward to. Um, is is this you know what what's next? What's the very next one? So we've got a couple minutes left. What can we anticipate from you, Rajani? Yes, my next book is a picture book coming with Candlewick Press on March 29th. Uh, it's called I'll Go and Come Back. 
And it is a story of a little girl who travels to India to see relatives but feels lonely and homesick. Uh, but then her grandmother uh, spends time with her. Uh, they play together. They cook and they eat get together, of course. And she feels um, at home. And then the grandmother comes to visit the little girl in the U.S. and feels lonely and homesick. And the little girl helps her feel at home. And the, oh. the title, I'll Go and Come Back, is from a Tamil phrase. So in Tamil, we don't say goodbye. We say, I'll go and come back. So there's always this promise of return. I love it. You can also return to Roshani at her um, social media handles, Rojana the Rajani La Roca, La Roca, I'm going to spell it, R-A-J-A-N-I-L-A-R-O-C-C-A. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And I think somehow, Rajani, that this moment that you had as a young girl feeling like you were not enough or that you didn't belong, it produced somehow a motivation to be sure that you were enough, that you... um, Mm -hmm did accomplish great things and you have accomplished great things. So um, thank you very much for being with us and sharing your insights. Oh, thank you for having me, Diane. This was lovely. And I think the big message that I want to give all my readers is that ultimately we decide where we belong. Absolutely. And where home is. And sometimes we carry it and sometimes it's more than one place, is it not? Absolutely, absolutely. It's just a wonderful. Um, it's just a wonderful study in in holding both um, both worlds, non-binary situations, as as we know, are so important in understanding and compassion. So, um, I felt the need to sit a little straighter and do better by becoming more diligent and. And even nerdy than I already was from reading your books. So what great reads. Um, thanks to our engineers as well as Rajani, uh, Matt Widener, and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and observe differences with respect. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 